Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured the international break, so there were no Arsenal mass- matches to discuss, but uh, we've got some other ideas, and uh, come along with us. So uh, how's it going, Keith? Uh, well, I, I took the international break to to travel a little bit. I, that's not actually true. I was, I was already scheduled to go to a conference. Luckily, it was during the break, but I, I was in <laughs> San Diego. Uh, my first ever trip to California, which was very nice. Ah. Uh, and uh, I, I was awoken at, at 5 o'clock on Sunday morning by the start of the San Diego Half Marathon, uh, which is a sentence hmm. I never thought I would utter for many reasons. Uh, it, was right out, it was right outside my hotel, and so 5 o'clock they started the music, and at 6 o'clock the first wave went off. But uh, San Diego is not a very big oh, wow. city, so it, it there was some worry about it affecting my trip to the airport and what would normally have been a 15-minute trip, took 20 minutes. So yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a little travel-logged, still, still recovering from the, the, the West Coast to Central Time swing, but it was a, I had a delightful time, and um, I'm, I guess we're getting set for the stretch run here. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you first mentioned being awoken by a marathon, I'm imagining some kind of nightmare that you would have where you wake up and all of a sudden you're running in a marathon you didn't sign up for. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh I it's interesting. I spoke to a coworker this morning and he I told I mentioned the half marathon and the first question was, Well, did you run in it? I was like, No, and he I was like, No, I was I had to go to the airport and he goes, Ah, so you ran around it, I see. <laughs> yeah, so uh let's start with some follow up from last week. So we discussed the Big City Greens Classic, which I did watch the first period of with my son, and I'm going to elaborate on it only because I think it is something that would be really cool if they did with some soccer matches. Um, it actually did have the intended effect of engendering an interest in hockey with, with my son. So, so basically, watching this thing was like a cross between, I guess, a cartoon tune and a video game with a live sporting event it like so big city greens because i'm guessing most of our listeners are not familiar with it is a 2d animated cartoon much in the style of like the simpsons the characters have yellow skin um they are all flat animated like the simpsons is and yet this match took place in three dimensions like you would expect, but that meant that it, there were 3D renderings of all these characters. So it was like the one Treehouse of Horror episode in which Homer walks into the real world. Um, he finds some portal behind his bookcase and emerges into uh, this weird space where he pokes a hole and it lands in New York City or something. Um so the Big City Greens characters returned 3D, and then what they were basically doing was... They had a real match being played between the New York Rangers and the Washington Capitals, and it was all being motion captured. So I didn't see what photos looked like or any video from the actual game being played, but I imagine they're wearing some kind of motion capture suits with like the ping pong balls on it or something like that, like you might see uh, in the production of a major Hollywood movie where they're doing motion capture. It was probably something like that. I'm sure more crude because they don't need every detail because I can tell you from watching every detail of what these players were doing was not being brought forth but um so you had avatars of these characters going around a virtual cartoon rink 
some of whom were substituted by the visuals of characters from this TV show. So the characters in the show were both uh, playing goalie, and I think uh, another two were playing forward positions or something. And so, it, and the referee was a chicken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which they they opted not to show the referee a lot of a time so he would just kind of like poof like off of the ice and i guess that would look weirder with a person than with a chicken maybe i'm not sure <laughs> but um so yeah it was it was interesting one other thing that they did that was i think a really good idea to bring new viewers into the sport that I could see them doing in early season matches of the Premier League is very well done animations, animated graphics, illustrating the first time they called icing, the first time they called offside, obviously something that we've talked a lot about in, on this podcast, which I get the impression is actually a lot more straightforward in hockey uh, to call offside, it seems like. But yes, um, I can, yeah, can so, confirm. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they had very nice kid-friendly graphics illustrating, okay, puck moves over this line, it's offside, moves over these two lines, it's icing. And in under 10 seconds, you have a very clear idea of exactly what those calls mean. And I think that it might be a slightly longer <laughs> animation to explain offsides for soccer. And, and there are a lot of calls, as we've discussed, that are more nebulous and you're not going to be able to explain it so easily necessarily. But I think that level of of talking down to some people, which I'm sure no grown-up without a kid was watching this Big City Greens match, I guess, unless you're a diehard Rangers or Capitals fan who wouldn't miss a game or something. But um, it's it's something that I think there's there's room for to do it in some fashion, maybe not all the way there. But it, it's also maybe a little bit tougher with soccer because they they don't have the commercial breaks like, like other sports do. But, you know, they do show replays after a goal or something, so it could fill in some of that time maybe. But uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, did you catch any of that? <laughs> I, I no, I didn't see any of it. I, I I'd be very curious to see about the idea because as I understand that, I, I mean, I as a as a hockey fan, first confirm offsides in hockey is much simpler. It has to do with the blue line on on the ice. Um, yeah. As far as the game itself, that that was a real game. Uh, they the the Capitals right. and Rangers were playing one another. Um, and so they, I, I'd be very curious to see how they handle that in terms of the, the motion capture because I don't believe the players would have been wearing any of those those suits or the the ping pong balls or, or what have you because obviously they're playing they're in the midst of an actual game. So I'd be very curious right. to see how that was done in that regard. I could represent another. I mean, I'm sure obviously as you mentioned, much cruder. I'm sure at some level represents a step forward for the technology that maybe they don't need those kinds of things. Um, but I will. Maybe. I will have that's, to. That's possible because the, yeah, they they were not presenting detailed animation of the players, and and that was one of the things that made it tough for me as an adult <laughs> observer to to follow the game. It's like the puck. It was very much like a video game. It would yeah. move between the two avatars and then just kind of settle into where you know it needs to be. But it's not the way the exact way that the puck moves. It's close enough, so you get the idea to follow along. But it it wasn't an accurate representation of what was really happening. You could tell that it wasn't natural. Yeah, I, that, that'd be I'd be kind of curious to see, um, but well, that's uh, uh, something if I if I get a chance, maybe if I remember to. Um, but also, <laughs> I hate both of those teams, so there's a different. That's a different side. <laughs> then there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Uh, but yeah. um, this uh, we mentioned last time the NFL has done similar things with Nickelodeon. I suspect somebody within NBC, as the Premier League's broadcast league caster in the United States 
is probably having that same conversation about what to do or how to do it. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know that that's actually all that. Uh, I, I don't know that that sort of thing is all that in the future. And yeah, obviously they they've got advanced uh, you know statistics tracking this kind of thing and metrics talking about how successful it is. But your your son's sudden interest in hockey is, um, it, you know, I think is is anecdotal evidence of the same. So. Uh, you can yeah. see why it would yeah, he, why he'd go he that way. He asked about playing hockey, which he never had before. So yeah, just as long as he doesn't end up supporting either the Rangers or Capitals, let's let's <laughs> we can talk. But that'll be on our other podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you know the thing is, is where we live. Uh, definitely not the Capitals. I don't know where that would come from. But and, he, and honestly, I could say uh, it's probably unlikely that we. The only reason I could see us following the Rangers would be because it's easy to watch their games, but I guess they play in the same stadium as the Islanders. So uh, no, they no, they don't. The Rangers they play don't in anymore? Madison in Madison Square Garden. Uh, the Rangers. Oh, always play that's in the right. Garden. The Islanders play in New Jersey, right? Well, no, right. no. The New Jersey Devils play in New Jersey. The Islanders play currently. They just opened it. It's UBS Arena, which is in. Um, it's technically in Elmont, New York. It's right next to the Be- the El- the Belmont Racetrack. So basically, oh, essentially, okay. que- essentially in Queens or, or more or less in Queens. Uh, but oh. they just opened that before that. They where, were in the where Nassau. Where did they Coliseum. play before that opened? Though they 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 played a couple of years in the, the Barclays Center, which is in the center of Brooklyn. It's where the Brooklyn Nets play. Mm-hmm. But before that, uh, for the longest time and up until recently, played in the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, which is uh, it's basically outside of Hempstead. It's right down the street from Hofstra. If you yeah, I don't know how well you know your Long mm-hmm. Island geography, but. No, but oh, okay. So they, okay. So I was totally wrong. I don't know why I thought I thought they played in the Giant Stadium, but I guess that's no. That well, the that the Giant sense. Stadium obviously is for football, <laughs> would not be for hockey. But uh, the Devils yeah. played at the Meadowlands and now have an arena in Newark, and they've been there for probably over a decade now. But yeah, they have an arena in Newark. Oh, okay, that shows how much I follow hockey. Um, exactly. But, yeah, but that'll so, be yeah. for our other podcast, Islanders. You, <laughs> we have a family history with the Blackhawks and and no hockey on the other side of the family, so. I, I, He'd probably end up being a Blackhawks fan. That's probably what we would do. And when they play the Rangers or something, we go watch them. <laughs> so, um, following up on another thread from last week, I had mentioned the sideboard ads that Arsenal had up. And what they read was Arsenal football development. And I'm going to have a link in the show notes uh, to that page from them. And yeah, they have the camps that you mentioned last time that are in the Northeast. But there is also other activity that they have going on in the U.S. There's some partnership with Adidas, I think, is what might be happening in Atlanta. Some kind of training camp or something's going on there so yeah they have uh football development activities all over the u.s but it seems like mostly towards the east coast even if not just the northeast but yeah and i'm sure they won't be the they are not the only club that major club that does that um oh no no yeah you would hope i mean you know they, as a big club they want to go to areas that are likely to have talent and find it and claim it <laughs> Uh, a, little, a little bit, you know. There's some scouting involved. It's a good way to spread the brand. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the, but the 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 number of kids they would be able to pull out of all of these camps. We're talking. We're talking. You could count them on a hand, probably. But you know, you you have them. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. You just never know. 
Right. So, uh, so one question we didn't quite have time for uh, last week that I wanted to pose to you is: I, I'm discovering as the season goes on, there are more teams in London than I realized at first. So I was pretty aware early on of okay, Tottenham and Arsenal are both the North London teams. We have North London derbies against them, um, but now it seems like. Uh, was it Fulham, I think, or I'm going to stop talking because I'm probably wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but there, I know there are other London teams. So if you could describe the other derbies that happen throughout the season within London, and we can maybe talk about broader areas later if we have time, but yeah. So I, one thing I think it's hard for a lot of Americans to get is that in European countries, the, the capital city, the metropole, is so much bigger than the rest of the country. And, and this is especially true. London's a great example. Paris and France are sort of the same way. The United States has a number of very large cities. Most European countries have one major one, which is substantially larger than the rest. I mean, even though New York is substantially larger than even, say, the second biggest Los Angeles, the U.S. still has a number of substantial cities. Obviously, Chicago, I live in Houston, uh, San Francisco, Philadelphia, um, mm-hmm. to, in Dallas, you know, to say nothing of the cities that have historic historic value, even if they aren't quite as large as they used to be. Um, London is substantially larger uh, than a lot of the rest of England. And currently in the Premier League, it ha- there are seven teams that are within the greater London area, um, which mm, typically wow. you end up with five, with four, five, with four, uh, with five or six. Uh, the big ones, uh, three of the the so-called big clubs in in England, obviously Arsenal and Tottenham and Chelsea are in London, and then this season uh, also includes West Ham, Crystal Palace, Fulham, and Brentford are all considered oh, okay. London-based clubs. So you were right on Fulham. Um, okay. And any any game between those two teams is known as a London derby. Uh, but then you have the regional right. London derbies. Obviously, Arsenal and Spurs is North London. Chelsea and Fulham is West London. Uh, is a West London derby, and they actually have a, hist- a more historically traditional rivalry. Uh, certainly, since Chelsea really got good starting in the late '90s and into the 2000s when they got a lot of money, uh, they have since long out long since outpaced uh, Fulham. Uh, but Crystal Palace is in South London. You have uh, West Ham, in spite of the name, is actually in East London. Um, <laughs> and then if you if you were to drop down a level, you have Queens Park Rangers and Millwall are both within London. And then technically Watford is also considered to be part of Greater London. Uh, so, I mean, Watford and, and QPR have both been in the Premier League. I've seen both of them play. Watford, I think, was Watford was in last year, actually. Um hmm. And uh, they they might well be in yeah they were relegated last season and hold on pulling up the standings uh actually they're they're kind of lounging in tenth uh there's another one Millwall uh, which is currently in position in a playoff position in the championship uh, we can talk about playoffs probably a little closer to the end of the season how that works in the lower divisions but yeah Mill Millwall's a fun club they are a club that um. Their fan base has a particular tradition for rowdiness to the such that such to the <laughs> point that their their rather famous song is "No one likes us and we don't care." <laughs> wow, <laughs> they have a re- they have a reputation of being a ve- a very passionate and and rough fan base, both 
to the both to, obviously to others, but also to their own team. Uh, so it's a uh, yeah. It takes a certain they, there's a certain kind of player who survives at a ta- at a club like Millwall. But yeah, you see that that's just <laughs> in the top two divisions. There are that's what ten teams uh, out yeah. of the. Uh, forty, forty, uh, forty-four, uh, that are in the oh, top okay. division. So you're really talking about a quarter of the to- of the top two leagues are in London, which is it's pretty crazy. Right. Um, yeah. So Brentford is are would you consider them a yo-yo team or what? What is their status? Uh, Brent, Brentford actually has been in the second division for was set in the second division for a while. In fact, they so you you would have seen the opener of uh, the Arsenal season last year when they lost at Brentford. That was their first game in the top division, I think, since like the fifties. It had been a oh, long okay. time for them. So, so there, there's a sort of a subplot to that game. Obviously, with Arsenal, is the injuries and the sort of the struggles for Brentford. That was their first game in the top division. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, yes, yeah, I'm sorry. The late 1940s. Um, oh wow, was the last okay. time they. And so it was their first game in the in the top division in in you know about almost 70 years and since they had been in the championship they had no fans in the stands for the entire season due to covid restrictions um hmm. so it, they and they had just opened a brand new stadium so it's a new stadium first time fans are in there in in almost two years first time in the premier in the top division in 60 years and they're playing arsenal who was a historically good team but obviously not a particularly strong roster at least at the start of the season so mm-hmm. the crowd was the crowd was pretty amped up that was a difficult uh that was a difficult first game to go into before the injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Watch all or nothing. They'll right. see the Arsenal side of that story. So, yeah, they're they are. Uh, okay. If well, you're looking for yeah, if you're looking for a yo-yo club, Watford would definitely character be characterized as more of a yo-yo club, as in go up and down, up well, so, and down. Yeah the the main reason that I asked about that is just to kind of place them. I knew that they're toward the bottom of the table. I didn't know how they've historically done, and that that was a, a good answer. Uh, my question though, so with them really being kind of below even a yo-yo club, or if we were to talk about Watford, um, are those still called London derbies, even though there isn't as much of a historical component to it like you would have against a club like Spurs? Yes, it's uh, the London Derby. Simply refers to a game against two teams that are in Lo- that reside in London. Um, right, it's okay. it's just a general moniker. Like the, the right. you can almost imagine London. Ca- obviously, London is capitalized, but Derby is almost a lowercase because Derby simply means rivalry or matchup. Right. Whereas something like the North London Derby is. You know, Derby Capital D. Um, you know, that's it's <laughs> like that's a fixture the, you expect to see yeah. every year. Yeah. Well, you expect you expect to see, and there's real historic significance to it. I mean, Arsenal and Spurs have almost you know, or Arsenal's never been relegated. Spurs have mostly spent their existence in the top division, certainly in the twenty since the twentieth early twentieth century. So right. they are they are a a tradition. Arsenal and Spurs have played traditionally, typically in the same league, and so they'll typically play each other right. quite a bit. Um, in a way that obviously Arsenal and Brentford do not. Yeah. All right. So as mentioned in the intro, uh, we don't have a new match to discuss with Arsenal this week due to the international break. By the way, how is the the match you're watching right now going? Uh, So so for listeners watching, this is on Monday evening. We're in stoppage time currently of USA El Salvador. Uh, The Americans are up 1-0. In the 93rd minute, there's four minutes added. I think they'll be okay, but I there. this is the... So, short story. 
The, this is the final game of the CONCACAF Nations League group stage. And as long as we don't lose this game, which we're not going to do in the next little more than a minute, uh, we will advance to the finals of the CONCACAF Nations League, a tournament that we won um, in the summer of 21, the inaugural edition of the league, and we will continue to defend a chance to defend our title, uh, presumably, I guess, in June when our, during our games there. So it should be okay, um, but... Now, yes, is so there a CONCACAF Champions League and Nations League? Are those two separate things? Yes, the Champions League is a club competition. So much like the, U- the UEFA is the Champions oh, League is right. for clubs. Okay. The Nations League is for national teams. Right. And UEFA actually has a Nations League as well, uh, which... Um, Hmm. Yeah, which UEFA has a Nations League as well, again, for countries, whereas uh, the, the right. Champions League is is let for clubs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. So anyways, so uh, so picking up, so the one thing that I wanted to, uh, to pose to you as just a topic for the week is a hypothetical I came up with just as, as a, an, a way to talk about the club in, in a week with no new activity. Um, so if you could pick from this season's primary starters, the, the guys who you wouldn't be surprised to see coming into a match against a good team, um, if you could pick two of those players and then substitute them with any two players from Arsenal's history, and naturally with the versions of those people when they're in their prime, not now that they're retired, um, if you could put them on the team in their place. So who would you pick to put in and who would you pick to take out and why? That is an interesting question. So because because one of the things it sort of presumes is you're looking at sort of at weaknesses of the team, right? Where is the team probably the weakest? And Sure. I guess the tough thing about answering that question this season is this is and, and the record of course shows that this is the strongest Arsenal team I've ever seen. They are they right. are very good and they're good <laughs> they're good top to bottom. So thinking about weaknesses, I'm I'm going to stall for a little bit. So I'm curious to ask you if you could look for a way to a place in the roster to improve the team. Oh, final whistle blow, US wins. Yay. Uh if you could look for a place on the <laughs> roster to improve the team. Where do you think it would be? I'm sort of curious to see how, and because then that that's one way I could think of answering it. I have some of my own answers, but I'll I'll let you sort of start with that. Yeah, I guess the first thing that occurs to me would be kind of the defensive area. I think that we've given up goals in a lot of our matches that we probably shouldn't have. I think pressure has been placed on our keepers sometimes that wasn't warranted. And luckily, most of the time, Ramsdale or or on those occasions that Turner's and goal Turner are are usually up to it and they do a pretty good job, but they can't all the time. And I think that they're put in positions that they shouldn't be some of the time. Um, There were some obvious examples recently. Um, like like we were talking about a, a few weeks back, there were some clear plays where it's like someone just passed to where there was no one and it got knocked in, stuff like that. But um, I, I feel like our defensive lineup isn't as strong. Um, and so, so like specifically 
we we kind of we have Ben White on a lot. He generally does a good job. Tomiyasu generally does a good job between them, but it's not like any one of them is clearly better than the other. Maybe you could make the case that they're, they're both really good and that's and that's a good position to be in, but I wonder if there's maybe room for a more permanent spot from our past that might be better <laughs> than the than half of each of them, you know, one one really good solid defender to replace the two of them put together. I think that's a fair that's a fair point. I, defense was one of the areas I was thinking. I mean, I, I, the big benefit to me of, of particularly in the central defense, Gabriel and Saliba, is their age. They're very good players, but also very young, and so there's mm-hmm. a lot of room for them to improve their game. I'm, I'm gonna interesting. You point out the right back position. I, I think I actually kind of agree. Although I like Ben White, and I think he does a lot of things well. I think he combines very well with Saka. Um, Mm-hmm. Gosh, I'm trying to think as far as the the outside outside backs. Um, hmm, that's an interesting one. I'm 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 pulling up a roster, an older roster, to sort of think about some of that. Uh, one area I would go in as well. Um, I, I in terms that I play in, and this has less to do with the player himself and more to do with the player I'd bring in. I think probably if I had to replace one of the regular starters, it would be uh, it would be Martinelli. Which I know is I know I'm I'm gonna I'm not I promise I'm not doing this to uh, I'm not doing this to poke you I promise I would I would replace Martinelli coming in on the left with uh, with Thierry Henry that's uh, to sure. me and that's not so much anything to do with Martinelli who's been excellent but to have Henry I, I don't know how you how you would not include Henry uh, on the on the team right. to me in terms of players I've seen. Um, other than that, um, you know, probably uh, some of the better Arsenal players. I sort of came in at the tail end or at the at the very back end of what was a, um, I guess I'd say a really truly historically strong roster. And so, for example, some names we could name: Patrick Vieira. We've talked about. I never actually saw him play for Arsenal. Uh, but was mm-hmm. an excellent central midfielder. And I think, I mean, he's one of those players who could slot into just about any club you have. Um, I think in terms of central defense, a guy I've seen that I always really enjoyed or that I think would be really helpful at where we, given where we are in the season, uh, would be uh, Per Mertesacker, who was a, cent- a German central defender and and just such a... Such a smooth and experienced player. I mean, I I, I love Gabriel. I love I love uh, Saliba. They're great players, but especially at this point, coming into the run in, to have a veteran player, uh, you know, a guy like Murdazaker who uh, won a bunch of stuff uh, throughout his career. Um, you know, I think he would be yeah just a, a really good benefit a benefit to that part of the field i frankly it's kind of fun if you're talking about a player you know murder soccer did this um and also the player when he came in in the transfer window the player he was brought in for um or the player he was brought in with uh in in central midfield to calm things down was uh was Mikel arteta and the two of them oh. <laughs> uh, were were key additions to to teams that won the FA Cup. Um, so you know, I think there's an argument mm. at, at Arteta, and in Arteta, I think would work as well. And this is the hard thing about comparing eras: is the way Arsenal plays now is there's certainly some differences to the way the way they play now versus the way they've sort of played some of the ways they played historically. So a lot of players, um, 
you know, they're good players, but maybe they don't necessarily fit what it is Arsenal does. Like, I don't know that you could replace right. a Thomas Party, but I wonder if a player like Patrick Vieira could do enough of similar things. Um, hmm. You know, or or would it maybe get you play to get you to play a certain way? I mean, I like I mentioned Mertesacker, another good central defender we had over the years that I was always a fan of was uh, Laurent Koscielny, who was here in sort of the uh, the mid to late 2010s. Uh, was another another good player. Uh, much as I enjoy Aaron Ramsdale, and I think he's a good keeper, I think another name you could throw in there is Jens Lehmann, who was a keeper for hmm. Arsenal in so the mid mid to late 2000s. Uh, started for Germany in the World Cup. Bit of a bit of a crazy guy as far as ger- goalies go. Actually, is the only at least was the first. I, I don't know if he's still the only, but was the first player ever to be red carded in a Champions League final. Um, <laughs> wow, that's, that's which is the yeah the the one what yeah the one the I mean it was it, he came out made a play on a on a on a, a ball coming in he tries to make the play kind of he he takes out the attacker it was it was a red card I mean I was angry when it happened but it was the right call and yeah. um but but an, but an excellent keeper a big reason why they were in the Champions League final to begin with so those are some names I'm thinking of but it, it's so hard in part because in a lot of respects the team. It has a lot of excellent players, but excellent players who fit really well together. Um, I can think of some players like maybe a Cesc Fabregas, but I don't want to take out Martin Odegaard, who's arguably the most important player over one of the most important players to Arsenal. I mean, I think, honestly, I think if you look right. at the club this year, Odegaard, Sa- Bukayo Saka, who's 100% not coming out of this lineup ever. Um, Odegaard, Saka, and, and Thomas Party, I think, are probably the most irreplaceable players on the roster just because of all the things they do for the team. And I say that as someone, again, who's a big fan of Gabriel and Saliba and what they can give you at center backs. But I think the, right. the, those guys, and, and, you know, we could talk about Zinchenko and, and Gabriel, and now I've named the whole roster again. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> I, I understand entirely where the question comes from. But man, that's this this year. Yeah. That's a really tough question. Ask me this question a year ago. I had thoughts, uh, but right yeah. now this season, I mean, I it, it's yeah. I mean, right. I led off with let's take out Martinelli. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean that. Yeah. And you have a lot of people out there who'd say, well, I guess for Trossard. But yeah, I mean, if the answer is putting in Thierry Henry, then the answer is putting in Thierry Henry. That's what you that that's not the wrong answer. Well, and that's the reason that I had you pick two people instead of just one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I assumed that you would have Thierry Henry in your lineup. So yeah, and I, yeah, was, was you know, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, again, as you you've seen the you've seen some of the highlights, so you get a sense of of why that is. So right, yeah, I'll have to look up some highlights of uh, the other players who you've mentioned because uh, that's that's a good way to go on that. So. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to uh, bring up some things that are kind of funny looking back. Um, I have some notes from the first couple of matches that I watched at the beginning of the season. So this is like a whole different me at this point because I've learned so much since then. But some of them are still kind of funny and maybe useful to at least one listener out there that uh, that might be listening that hasn't picked up on it yet. But uh, so the first thing that I just thought was kind of funny is, you know, you're, you're looking at I don't remember if it was the case in last season's jerseys that were in the uh, all or nothing Amazon Prime documentary or if that was something that they added this season but the visit rwanda on the jerseys and on the sideboard ads it's like (laughs) has anybody 
from the U.S., let's say, maybe this is more common when it's not as far a trip to make. But I, this, I mean, clearly this is why they have ads for it. But does anyone go there for vacation? Like all I think of is Hotel Rwanda and genocide. And it's just it just it's such a contrast to the image that Visit Rwanda conjures that I, I laughed out loud. Well, I think the, I think the, I think the first response to that is that's exactly why they're advertising that they I yeah, mean, that was sure. that was 1994. That was 30 years ago. I mean, and, and the country has I had to do math in my head. You could you, you could see the pain and look on my face. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, that's partly why they do that advertising is so that people don't think of don't just think of the genocide as as the story of Rwanda. Um as far as I understand, I guess if pe- if you're interested in Africa, Rwanda can be an interesting place to visit. Uh, you know, of course, it's Central Africa, so there's safaris and all the kind of fun things mm-hmm. you would think if you were, you know, quote, going to Africa. Um, right. Those things are all accessible <laughs> there. I think, uh, I, you know, does it work? Uh, Rwanda clearly thinks it does. Um, yeah. They, so those those have been added because so. <laughs> they've had that for a couple seasons. So that's it's the shirt sleeve is where that advertisement actually is. Right. And that yes. that's a fairly new addition. Mostly we'll see the advertising on on shirts is the is the the center of the of the jersey of the center of the kit. But yeah. now they've started to add the at the the sleeve patch, and it's just one of those. You know, in England, that's valuable real estate. But if you go to some other leagues, I mean, look for example, if you watch say the Mexican league, um. They they'll have ads all over the shirts, all over the place, like um, NASCAR style. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, it's a very it's yeah. it's and and it's it's partly just because they need the revenue. In some ways, is the ways the Premier League doesn't need that kind of money. Um, <laughs> does it work for Rwanda? You'd have to ask them, but they keep they've <laughs> they've renewed the contract at least once, so they right. clearly think they're getting something out of it. It's interesting that one's kind of yeah. drawn some criticism as well because Rwanda's government. Um, Rwanda's government is certainly less, I think it's fair to say it's less liberal in a lot of ways than a government like England or the United States would be or the UK. Um, and there's mm-hmm. been some criticism about the way they operate and, you know, to what extent should Arsenal or a club like Arsenal or any, any English club be dealing with a government quite like that. I mean, obviously we're not talking, I mean, they're not genocidal. I'm not making that suggestion, but <laughs> there are cons- some concerns about the way they deal with political dissent and uh, certain popu- the way certain populations are treated in the country. Uh, so there's right. there's a, there's a, there's some mixed opinions about that. Um, even even some Rwandans. They, there was a, a piece I saw at one point. They interviewed Rwandans and said, "What do you think about this?" And a lot of them sort of said, "Well." You know, there were a lot of them were in the UK, and so they're like, "Well, there's a reason I left, and so I don't love the way the a lot of the ways the country is running." It, but on the other hand, it's it's nice that people don't think about us as a country of of genocide, like that that they can think mm-hmm. of other things. When people say Rwanda, that's that's not what you think of. You think of something else. So I can kind of appreciate both sides of that. Uh, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so anyways, uh, the the next thing uh, that I thought was kind of funny is having not ever really been super into following professional sports. I was into sports video games for a period in, in my youth, and you, you can imagine the sort of 
<laughs> it was almost like the uncanny valley for a little bit. I don't, I don't know if our, our listeners are familiar with this uh, this phenomenon, but basically where something is really, really close to reality, but just enough off that your mind rejects it. Like people think of the movie The Polar Express. Uh, that was a Robert Zemeckis uh, motion capture movie where it, the most of the animation was generally kind of really realistic in a way, but then it was just like people had dead eyes and it just kind of looked wrong and, and, and creepy. Um, but so I, I had a similar kind of reaction when I was watching my first match and the referee is standing there with an EA Sports or EA Games arm patch on his sleeve, which it was like, wait a second, is this reality? Is this a video game? What am I watching? Because like, it just in this context where I've played sports games, not FIFA specifically, but where I've played sports games and you see something like that, it was just a little bit like I had to check, check reality for a minute. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, EA Sports obviously has paid for that, EA Games has paid for that sponsorship, and I suspect that's exactly the reaction they want to get from you. Yeah, probably, I imagine so. Um, the last thing that I, I, I did figure out, uh, it was something that I was going to ask about, and I didn't very early on, and I figured it out myself, but just in case it's helpful to somebody else, I had been noticing when a goal is scored, and they're either announcing the goal, or when they list the goals, like at halftime or something, that they'll list um, who scored it, and then a number followed by a tick, what you might call an apostrophe or a tick mark, next to it. And I was like, huh, what, what is that? Is that their jersey number or what's going on there and eventually i realized oh single tick is minutes double tick is seconds this is like latitude and longitude notation being applied to clock time as far as when the goal was scored so i, I got there on my own uh, something i wanted to share just in case anyone else hasn't picked up on that yet <laughs> but it's it's useful it's, it's kind of cool like it makes sense in a game that has so few points scored each match it makes sense that you would mark it because it is it does affect the way that the game is flowing you have a better sense of like oh was this game tied up like at nil nil until the 73rd minute or have there been a bunch of goals spread throughout like are they making a comeback it's it's interesting it's it's a good practice i'm glad they do it the notation is kind of weird it might make more sense if they just put like minute colon second when the ball went over the line they have hawkeye we know we can tell they can tell us the second it went over but eh, either way it's it's enough detail that it's useful <laughs> yeah well i guess part of the the lack of precision if you think about remember because the clock doesn't stop like if you're watching a hockey game, right. they would precisely because when the goal is scored, the clock is stopped. But because in soccer, it's just meant to give you a general sense of when it happens. And of course, nowadays we can give those precise times. But if you think about it, you know, historically there's and, and this was true even in like even in American sports for the longest time. There is the clock and the stadium, which is unofficial. There's the clock on the scoreboard or in the stadium. There's the clock also on the score bug on the game. That's unofficial. And then it's the referee who's actually keeping time. Right. So even then, you're not actually getting a precise time when many things happen. In fact, the, right. And those probably fact, aren't yeah. all in sync with each other at all times. Oh, yeah. not at all. Oh, no. Well, I mean, in, yeah. in, given how they would have been done impossibly. In fact, it, so those of you who watch the NFL, that's that's where the true two minute warning comes from. Is that at two hmm. minutes, that's when the refer the game clock and the referee's clock would stop and they would synchronize at two minutes. So in the last two minutes of the half, huh. the teams would actually have an accurate count. Uh that's what that was for in the in professional football. Interesting. 
Nowadays, of course, That's the times right. are kept much more consistent. The times kept much more consistently, and so it's much easier for them to right. do that. But there are still, it does still, there are moments where they're checking on that and making sure that the stadium sure. clock matches the referee's clock. Interesting. How oh, those silly Americans and what they call football. <laughs> yes, yeah, so those Americans. So, with that accent, yeah. you can't you can't get away with that with that accent. I'm just saying. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've I've started trying when practical to refer to soccer as just football and not refer to American football at all, just to help make <laughs> make it less confusing. But I was I was talking to someone about this the other day, and it's just it it's really really stupid that they picked that name for this sport that has practically nothing to do with your feet, and not really any more to do with your feet than most other sports do. Um, it was unfortunate, an unfortunate decision way back. Because I have to imagine soccer existed when American football was started. It's football, like international football, has been around for a long time. And I know American football has been around for a long time, too. But I have to imagine that soccer predated it, right? Um. So the, fir- the first sporting event that could tr- that's traditionally counted as football, American football, is a game between... Uh, Princeton and Rutgers in 1876. Okay. Now, that is now it, I thought. Now it, it looks nothing like modern professional <laughs> football. Uh, the forward pass isn't even legalized until like the 1920s. Um, wow. And so, and so the, it, it is really just a modified version of rugby, basically, which is sure. the, where the sport comes from evolutionarily. I mean, a sport that is known as that, you know, that English call football that we call soccer I mean, it's there some version of something that looks like it had been played for quite a long time. You start to see it be codified into sort of the more modern version of the game, sort of in the mid mid nineteenth century. So it is older than American football, probably just not as much as I think you thought. But then again, yeah. the, the version of football of soccer that you get is much closer to the modern game, much earlier than the modern version of the sport you get. In um, than the modern version of the sport uh, of foot of American football is I guess the way to say right. That. All right, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think that'll uh, do it for this week. You want to let us know what's coming up next week? Sure thing. So just one game again. We have we have one midweek game the rest of the year, but just one game this weekend on Saturday, April first. Uh, Arsenal will take on Leeds. That's a home game against Leeds on Saturday morning. So we're into the stretch run now, and this is this is how it's going to be. So this should be a fun one. Should be a should be a game we pick up points in. Uh, but Leeds, as we know, will be desperate to avoid relegation. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, it should be good. And yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to one match a week from here on out. That'll that'll be a nice regular cadence to look forward to, except for that one city match. <laughs> That's in the middle of the week, but yeah. Yes, and good. of all uh, of all the games, it had to be that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U superfan to download a raw, unedited recording right away. Start a free trial on Apple Podcasts today. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Go, you gunners.